Drew Alpern, the team of Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio, my guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, recognized by no less a personage than managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, as one of the best baseball writers currently writing about baseball, which is what baseball writers do best. It's Mike Petriello, and Mike Petriello is also helping me with the introduction. You're there, Mike? I am here. Yeah, Mike. Mike, we spend, uh, in what follows, we spend no fewer, I would say, than 20 minutes discussing a situation which will be resolved uh, probably shortly before this podcast is published. Yes, we will talk about Brady Aiken, uh, the Houston Astros, the mess that is the amateur draft, and uh, make our predictions about whether he's going to sign or not. You know, we do. I think that would be, if for no other reason, now you provide, a, I think, a great detailed explanation that is sort of a, a that you follow, catch us up on the narrative arc of the whole thing. But it, um, but if for no other reason, people could come back to this and f- and here are those predictions we make for the dollar amount that Aiken either will or will not sign for. Anyway, uh, thank you, uh, thank you, Mike, for participating. We just recorded it. This is the introduction, though. This is Fangraphs Audio featuring Mike Petriello. And it begins right now. You know, uh, Mike Petriello, listen. I think I would say I, I think about you a normal amount of time. <laughs> okay. I mean, I would say I don't think about you. I think it would be it would be strange for us all if I spent a lot of time thinking about you, right? I would agree with that. Yeah. But at the same time, I think uh, to think about one of your colleagues and uh, also a talented baseball writer uh, every so often, that's not and, – and, and I think we, we, we've gotten along the times we've spoken and uh, when we met recently. I, I would agree. Okay. So, uh, you know, so I think I think about you sometimes. But I thought about you uh, in particular well, a couple of days ago, I guess. Dave Cameron, you familiar with him? Uh, I've met him once or twice. Yeah, Dave Cameron, managing editor of Fangraphs. He announces this via the social media platform known as Twitter. He announces, bias acknowledged, uh, but no one has been consistently better at writing about baseball lately than Mike Petriello. That is a completely undeserved but well-accepted compliment. Yeah, you came across that yourself, I assume, because he, uh, he, he included your actual user, your Twitter handle in, in the, the, the text there. I'm, I'm pretty sure my wife actually favorited that tweet. Oh, is that right? Yes. Yeah. Well, if anyone is so inclined, they could do some, um, I guess, reconnaissance and, and attempt to discern your wife's identity. But that would that would be thinking about Mike Petriello too much, probably. Well, you know, I don't think it's a secret because I semi-regularly tweet her observations on baseball, of which she understands, but is certainly not a, a serious fan of. She doesn't, yeah, she doesn't particularly care, maybe. Right, she, she likes going to the games, but she'll, she'll never watch a game. Okay, right. Now, I've just adjusted the levels. That's part of this... Uh, early chatter early on is to adjust the level. So if people are – if it sounds like it's making more sense now, that's why. Um, so why did uh, – now you say it's undeserved, but what do you think – if you were to guess, what do you think prompted Cameron to make that comment with regard to you and uh, your baseball writing acumen? I think uh, in the last two weeks I've had a couple of well-received articles. Uh, the other day I wrote about the Astros and Brady Eakin, which got a lot of nice feedback Um over the 4th of July, while everybody was on vacation, I was around writing about the Oakland and Chicago Cubs deal. Uh, I wrote about the Rockies should probably trade Troy Tulowitzki, and I think, you know, those all three of them worked out pretty well for me, so. Yeah, and uh, I think you're omitting a, what is it, an article about Brady Aiken as well, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that was that was the first thing. Yeah, oh, that was the one you said, no, the Orioles as well. Uh, yeah, the Orioles, I mean, that, that was okay too, but I don't think it got nearly as much feedback as the others. Oh, okay, all right. Yeah, all right. Oh, yeah, look at that. It appears as though the, the A's... 
Cubs blockbuster trade post received three or forty comments. Wow. What do people uh, say? Yeah. What are people saying by the by comment? You know, two fifty. What's going on then? Uh, it's mostly arguments about whether the A's are overpaying or the Cubs have too many shortstops. You kind of stop reading them after a while. Hey, well, I'm gonna pause it. I'm gonna I'm gonna make a statement and then you react to it. Okay. Okay. Um, it's it's difficult for a team. It's difficult, near impossible for a team to have too many shortstops. It is absolutely impossible. Right, because a shortstop is really just a person who, in theory and generally in practice, could also play all of the other positions. Uh, yes, I mean, I suppose you could actually have nine men standing between second and third if you really wanted to, which would not be a very efficient defense. Yeah, that would be that would be the ultimate uh, defensive realignment, wouldn't it? There's a, there's a shift, and then there would be a cluster, I guess you would call that. Right, that would be for very specific types of hitters. Maybe Derek Jeter, actually. Or Derek Jeter type. Who who is the league leader? If you were to guess, and we can maybe uh, do some, uh, w- uh, we could do some actual research on this later. If you had to guess among qualified hitters, who hits the majority? Who hits the most balls to the left side on the ground? Uh, I don't even know where to start. I'm trying to think of guys who are contact hitters with no power, but most of the ones I'm thinking of are lefties, like a, like a Ben Revere type. So maybe it is Jeter. I'll, I'll go Jeter. Okay. Oh, maybe like a... Do you think, do you think that a, a Placido Polanco would be the sort who would do that? A healthy... Um, probably not this year, since he's not a major league right. baseball player. What about Scudero? Uh, well, he's he's barely played either. Oh, he just came back, I believe, from the... Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, maybe, you know, maybe, maybe Alan Craig. He's been horrible this year. I'm trying to think of righties, because a lot of these low-power guys are lefties. Okay, yeah. So, uh, yeah, okay. Well, here's here's where I want to start, though. Uh, you, it was actually with your most recent article with regard to – because in particular, uh, Cameron uh, tw- uh, tweeted out that the uh, that article with um, – that comment with that uh, with a link to that article, right? The, the Astros article, yes. And I'm going to ask your help uh, in understanding the Brady-Aiken situation – uh, here's the part I definitely understand, is that it, every year the draft happens, right? And what happens during the draft is the teams take players. Uh, after the most recent CBA, this, the slots tend to be pretty well defined, and there's a pool that every team is allotted based on the, the slots they have through, say, the first 10 rounds or something like this. Uh, this is all makes sense. The Astros selected Brady Aiken, a high school pitcher, presumably under the impression that he would sign for less than slot value, which I think is seven five, maybe. Does that sound right? Uh, seven nine. Seven nine, and I think he agreed originally to six six. Uh, six five, yeah. Okay, right. But the number, the exact numbers are off. We're in the ballpark here, which is a baseball metaphor. Um, now, at some point after that, someone decided what in the uh, someone in the Astros camp decided that there was a difficulty. There's some difficulty with his arm. There is an, uh, an abnormality, I guess is the word, in his UCL, in his throwing elbow. Um, and I guess his camp strongly disagrees with that because the last time he pitched, he struck out 14 guys and was throwing 9 to 8 miles an hour. And he considers he's healthy. And it really seems, and I should caveat, caveat this, by the way, by saying that we are talking uh, less than three hours before the deadline for him to sign. So by okay. the time people actually hear this, well, we'll know if he signed or not. And right now you and I do not know if he's going to sign or not. So we we'll actually have less information than the listeners do. Which well, is no, but you could but you could make a, a I guess you can make a prediction based on the information you have. Let's let's get to that. Let's yeah. get to your big prediction. That will be 
that will be the, st- the stunning moment at the end of this part of the conversation. <laughs> well, okay, so they, you know, they had agreed to a deal, but it's like a handshake deal. They didn't actually put pen to paper, you know, pending a physical. And so this like, is common. This is a common practice when signing a, pro- uh, a, a, a draftee. It is, and it, it's actually it's one of the the larger problems here is that the player, the team, does not get their own doctors to examine the players before the draft. So you're kind of going on faith that he's not hurt, and you know, if guys throw 98 miles an hour, he's probably not hurt. So, you know, they have this handshake agreement, and then several weeks go by, and then John Heyman reports that there's a problem with the deal, that there's a, uh, an abnormality in his elbow, and now the Astros want to cut the the guarantee. And I think he'd originally reported to five million, but it sounds like that might not have been true, and now it's down to, to like 3.1 million. And, the, and, and so, the, and the, sorry, and the the 3.1 million number is significant. It is because. Is it is forty percent of uh, of the slot? I, maybe I can't remember now if it's forty percent of the slot or forty percent of the original contract offer. But anyway, it's the minimum you have to give in order to get a compensation pick the following year, should they not sign him, which would be like the number two overall pick. So it's super important that they actually did extend that offer. Right. Yeah. And, and it, presumably this is in, this is a rule so that teams don't totally bail out on the draft. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so you know, obviously the the big problem here is that the Astros say, well. You know, there's a problem with your with your arm, and it might not prevent you from pitching now. But it really sounds like they're worried that he's going to get injured soon, or at least sooner than a regular pitcher would. And uh, the players' camp is like, "Well, I, I'm healthy. You offered me this much money, and I agreed. I can pitch right now. I'm not taking less money." So this is kind of blown up into a whole thing. And I think a lot of the public opinion has been that the Astros are somehow on it being underhanded or, or evil or in some way trying to steal money from this kid. And I really think that both sides are in a tough position but are both trying to do what's within their best interests. And I think they're both within the rules. Uh, it's not necessarily the same thing as you know being a good partner, but I don't think anybody's breaking rules or acting unethically. They've just been kind of put in this really unusual and bad situation. Right. Now, you make the point in your piece that, uh, well, on the one hand, uh, on the one hand, uh, Brady Aiken doesn't appear injured because, you know, he's he threw 98 miles per hour. Um, and that, but on the other hand, it's possible that the Astros found something in, with his US, US, UCL that might lead to an arm injury in the, in the near or less near future. But you, you add, well, we could do this with a lot of pitchers who <laughs> have thrown because they throw pitches and that's not good for your arm at all. Uh, that, you know, if you were to, to take an MRI, is that how you find that out? You do an MRI? Yeah, yeah, I yeah. think so. I mean, we're not doctors, right? And no. even if we are, none of us have seen this, so it's kind of all just going on what's been reported. But from what I understand, the issue is that his UCL is either uh, smaller than usual or, I mean, you know, R.A. Dickey doesn't have one at all, so it's not impossible to pitch with it, but he's a knuckleballer. And I think the idea would be, even if his arm blew out, that a traditional Tommy John surgery might be more difficult because of the way his elbow was put together. Right, but at a certain so at a certain point we have to take it um, we have to take this from the Astros at face value, right? Because it's not like uh, I don't know. Is there a situation that you're aware of, or do you think it would make sense if there could be at some level like an arbitrating doctor? I think that there kind of needs to be some sort of solution because you know the, the player doesn't have anywhere to take this. Like he's gone to other doctors and they all say that he's healthy and fine, and the Astros doctors say that well he won't be, and the player has no recourse. I mean he. He can't force the team to change their mind, and uh, that kind of puts him in a bad spot because if he doesn't sign, he can go to college, maybe, which we should talk about in a minute, and then not 
be eligible for three years, or he could go to you know junior college or independent league and play at a, a much lower level than he should be at and be eligible again next year. But obviously, you know, there's risk in that. We've seen that happen to guys before, and you know, their careers fall apart. Right. Um, now you say there's nowhere to take this, uh, and you mentioned it with regard to uh, you know other doctors. Uh, now, if this if this sort of thing were happening uh, to, I mean, not that this precise thing could happen to a, a major league player. But if it were, if you know, typically if a major league player feels as though he's being treated roughly by an organization, uh, he can file a grievance with the with the union. I think you've really hit on the main problem here. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, that's that's the crux of it, right? Because this 17 year old kid is not part of the union. He has nowhere to file a grievance, and he's you know he's being governed by rules that he had no business. Like the players' union essentially sold these kids down the river because. You know, his rights were already restricted, really, by being in a draft and not being able to freely market his services. But now they are especially being restricted by, you know, there's nowhere to go with the grievance. There's the whole pool value thing. Um, and that's just Aiken. We haven't even talked about the other guy, Jacob Nix, yet, who's really um, more of a victim here than anybody. All right. Okay, so Jacob Nix was the fourth or fifth round pick by the Astros? Fifth rounder, yeah. Okay, right. And uh, what's uh, – so his his story is I – mean, what he – He's been sucked into this uh, drama to some degree because what? Because it's the same agent or because he has his own uh, situation to deal with? He, well, he does have the same agent. And that's it's funny because technically it's his advisor because if it's agents, they can't go to college and not have their eligibility, which is a whole other level of shady. But, yes, they both have the same agent, Casey Close. And the agent, the Astros agreed with Knicks on a, a deal for $1.5 million, which is like four or five times over slot because they want to buy him out of his commitment to college. Uh, but and he passed his physical, and that's all fine. Uh, unfortunately, once this whole Aiken situation blew up, they had to tell him where we can't actually finalize your deal until he knows. That we know what happens with Aiken because if Aiken doesn't sign, uh, they lose that whole 7.9 million valuation, and they won't have enough money to sign Knicks unless they go over and get hit with severe penalties, like losing draft picks next year. So now this kid who did nothing but work hard and get drafted and pass his physical and you know agree to a deal for a million and a half dollars is now stuck. He doesn't know what he's doing because of something that has nothing to do with him. Right. And so he's he's probably not thrilled about it either, is he? No, I, I can't imagine he is. I think that's part of that's part of why the public opinion is uh, pretty anti Astros here. Because you see these two, you know, seventeen year old, eighteen year old kids and it kinda looks like they're getting screwed over by this giant, you know, multi-hundred million dollar company. It's obviously a lot more complicated than that, but, you know, he is the one that's losing, which is, I think, a big problem. Okay, so now you said that uh, with regard to uh, Aiken and college, this is uh, there's a, this is another chapter of this, this story. Yeah. Well, he, yeah, what does that chapter look like? <laughs> he, he, uh, both of them, I think, both Aiken and Nix have uh, commitments to UCLA. And if they don't sign, in theory, they can go back to college and be eligible again in, in three years. And, you know, we, we've seen that happen with many players uh, who decide not to sign and go back to college. Uh, the problem with that is, well, two things, really. If the Astros are right about Aiken's arm and he pitches three years in college and gets hurt, well, he's clearly not going to get even $3.1 million in three years. You know, he's going to have destroyed his value. Uh, who knows if that actually happens. But the other thing is that he's got to be eligible to go to college and if everybody decide, if the NCAA decides that Casey Close has really been more of his agent than his advisor, that might hurt or destroy his eligibility, which is another situation where a kid is just trying to get the best advice he can, and he may end up losing. He might he'd be losing on two fronts. Right. And so if, if he's ruled ineligible, then he's left with, you know, a, 
indie ball, you know, playing for the the St. Paul Saints or the the Sugar Land Skeeters or something like that. That's right. Yeah, he could. Uh, well, if he had joined one of the, you know the, the Skeeters earlier, he might have had uh, Tracy McGrady relieving for him. Yeah, right. And now he might not even have him in the stands watching. Yeah, I know. That's sad. That's a sad story. So uh, right, and, and of course the the NCAA is a uh, we we know them as a. Um, as, a, as an arbiter of morality beyond reproach, without question. <laughs> yeah, right. Okay, so that's good that they're gonna they would duck in. Yeah, that would be a, that would be a tough road for Brady Aka. It's especially tough, right? Because uh, one assumes that he had a pretty strong idea that he would be going top five in the draft. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And it had actually gotten to the point where his some of his family and along with him was in Houston to sign and throw out the first pitch before a game a couple weeks ago, and then this whole mess popped up. And now here we are, you know, two and a half hours from the deadline, and nobody knows if he even signs or not. What if he signed, and then while throwing out the first pitch, that's when he tore his, UC, his abnormally small UCL? <laughs> well, that would certainly make for a, a photo op, wouldn't it, of that happening on the mound during yeah. the game or before a game? Yeah. But at that point, at that point, he would have signed, so then uh, the money is his. Right. Well, they cut to Jeff Lunau weeping, though. Right. Exactly. Right. Um, okay. Okay, before we get to your big prediction, Mike Petriol, which is what really everyone is, has uh, logged on for, um, I want to ask you, what do you think would be, what do you think would be the most sensible solution to this sort of problem, and what do you think is the most realistic? What do you think will most realistically happen? Not just because we're talking about Aiken, and that situation is going to be resolved at some point. I mean, it's going to part of it's going to be resolved this afternoon, as you mentioned. But what do you think is the what do you think is the thing that ought to happen with these sorts of cases, and what will happen, do you think? Well, what I think ought to happen is that they need to get rid of this whole you know, draft pool situation. Because one of the, the quotes from Close that made me laugh was he's like, well, if, you know, if every player's deal was tied to another player's deal, we would never have any signings. Like, it should be totally independent of each other, which sounds great in theory, but that's not how this whole thing is set up. I mean, you, the, the rule is that you've got... X number of dollars for your, your top ten picks, and then you know over a hundred thousand dollars for the rest of the guys. So that means you have to play one off the other. You know, I really think that if there was no, if there was no pool here, like if they could just give Aiken his money and still be able to sign the other guys, Nicks and also Mac Marshall, without getting penalized, they would probably just give him what they'd agree to. Because really, what's what is three million dollars in Major League Baseball? It's almost nothing. It's certainly not worth all of this terrible PR and and you know everything that's gone on. I think if they weren't worried about losing other players or, or losing draft picks, they probably would have just paid the kid and everybody would have been happy. So it's really this draft system didn't look great when they first put it into place and now it looks really bad. Well, yeah, and with regard to that comment, it also there's also the point, right, that even if there's not a strict system in place, the teams are still entering the, the draft, you know, uh, with a certain amount of money that they're going to spend or willing to spend. So there is always going to be some amount of pool, right? So you can't, you don't, you'll never have a, a situation where every player probably goes for the top dollar he is absolutely worth. Uh, no, I, I don't think that's very likely, and I think that's that's really part of the problem. I mean, you've got some of these international, not so much anymore, but some of the international free agents who are going for more than they possibly could have in the draft. You know, I mean, you see how much Abreu and, and Puig and those guys have gone for. Nobody in the draft is getting that kind of money because they're they're restricted. Right. Okay, uh, I mean, are we ready for the big unveil here? Well, what time is the announcement? What's the when's the it's, deadline? Uh, I, I believe it's five o'clock Eastern. Is the deadline? Hmm. Let me think. Are you this. where? Where are you back in the uh, back in the, the continent yet? Are you still in? Yeah, I'm in, New, I'm in New Hampshire, Petriello. How about that? Yeah, I'm in New Hampshire. You know, uh, yeah, uh, well, 
I, I might get this up by 5 o'clock, but I don't think people will listen to it at length before 5 p.m. What do you think? Unlike, uh, unlikely? Unlikely. Yeah. Okay. All right, so your prediction as to what will happen? I think I think they're going to sign. I think it's going to be some kind of compromise where it's more than the 40%, but less than what was originally given. I think it just ends so badly for everybody if he doesn't sign because you know the Astros lose the player. They lose the 7.9 million pool evaluation. They, they lose Knicks. They lose Marshall if there's a deal there. Um, like we said, for Aiken, his future is questionable. I mean, we, if he's even eligible to play in college, that's, that's risky even if his arm does blow out. I think... It's the best situation that they come to an agreement. Um, you know, obviously, even then, it's not perfect because you know, is is Aiken kind of poisoned towards the idea of ever wearing the Astros hat? Maybe, but I, I would be surprised if they can't come to some kind of compromise. Right. And do you do you want to uh, go even one step further? And uh, you know, with the reasoning that you we've covered here, uh, what that what that valuation might be? Um. No, I don't. But <laughs> I, I don't know. Let's say four point two million. Okay. Well, everyone, literally everyone listening to this will already know the title. So Mike Petriello said four point two million. Are, is this? Are we doing a closest number without going over, or do you think a closest? Um, uh, well, if it's going to be a that was prices right rules. Prices. Yeah, yeah. but the, but then you know you have to put out a guess too if it's going to be a, a contest like that. Yeah, that's a good point. Four point two is strong. 4.2 is strong. I'm just going to say 5. Okay. Because that was a rumored number that was apparently debunked, right? Yeah, that's what John Heyman reported uh, like two weeks ago, and now it seems that that might not have been true. Okay. Well, I'm going to say 5 just because I think that uh, I'm going to say maybe that maybe this was a thing that that existed for a moment, but the number is now in people's heads, you know? So I'm thinking 5. That's fair. 5 flat. And that's going to that's gonna, uh, leave more than enough to sign Knicks. So what are the Astros going to have extra money lying around? Uh, I, well, I'd have to do the math, but I think if it's five, then yeah, you'd have 1.5 for Knicks, and I don't know how much they wanted to sign Max, uh, Mac Marshall for, so that plays into it too. Okay, all right. Uh, okay, that's great. Hey, listen, the, another thing. So that's the Aiken situation. Um, everyone, everyone looks, everyone looks bad in the in the Brady Aiken mess. That's what we find out. Everyone's trying to put it behind them now. I want to ask you. Uh, actually, it's not not about a piece you wrote, but about about a piece Jeff Sullivan wrote. Um, Jeff Sullivan wrote a piece about your uh, your Los Angeles Dodgers. Is this going to be Matt Kemp related? It is going to be. Is that all right? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, because uh, I mean, it's it just seems to me. I think it's actually nice. I think it's nice when you write about other teams and other uh, other writers on the site write about the Dodgers because obviously you have a certain intimacy with them. Um, but it's, so it's nice to uh, – I like to look at, um, you know, read Sullivan's piece. It's a, maybe a more objective view. He has not uh, – the, the the way that the Dodgers win and lose has not affected him emotionally and in a way that it no, may I, I, I agree with you. I, it's, uh, I try not to write about the Dodgers, and if I do, it either means that there's something big or I've completely run out of other ideas. Yeah. So here's the point. Here's Well, here's one thing. The, the Dodgers have no fewer than – Five major league outfielders. Five, I mean, you know, more or less qualified major league outfielders. And a sixth on the way. And a sixth. All right, all right. So, so who are we talking about? We're talking about Carl Crawford, mm-hmm. Andre Ethier, Matt Kemp. Yes. Those are those guys are making quite a bit of money. Uh, considerable money. What will we say? Is it like a total of sixty between them, something like that, per annum? Uh, well, they've they've all got different contract lengths, mm-hmm. but I. I Tell you right now that this year, yeah, Kemp's got 21, Crawford's 20.25, Ethier uh, 15 on his way to 18 the next 
years. Okay. All right. All right. So, so the so it's 50, I'll, I'll quite a bit of money. Right. And then we have Scott Van Slyke. Yes, making who, the minimum. Right, and who has had a, like kind of a crazy good uh, little uh, season, yeah. Surprisingly, so he was. Uh, what is that? Sorry, a music just started playing in my headphones for reasons. Oh, yeah. It's because you're it's because you're clicking around on the internet. Uh, I can, yes, we can all hear DFA, you. Like two winners ago, uh-huh. nobody picked him up. They could have had him for free. Uh, he, you know, I think rededicated himself to his fitness because uh, he's kind of a big guy. And yeah, you're right. He's been a really good. You know, backup, first baseman, outfielder, source of power, um, valuable guy to have on the bench. Right. Uh, I've omitted Yaziel Puig's name thus far, but of course he's, he's famous and good at and good at baseball. Um, and then and then Jock Peterson. Uh, Jock Peterson, by all accounts, could you know could probably put up uh, something like average numbers as a as a as an outfielder in the majors right now. And he might be the only one of this entire group who can actually play center field. Right, which is one problem. Now, now, who uh, who have the Dodgers deployed in center thus far this year? Uh, for the first six or eight weeks or so, it was Matt Kemp, mm-hmm. and he's long been known to be terrible out there. So they finally decided, no more, we can't handle it. And then it was Andre Ethier, who, you know, to his credit, he's not a center fielder. He did an admirable job. He's not good, but he wasn't a disaster. Uh, but he also wasn't hitting very well, which didn't help. So now Scott Vince Lake's been playing out there a little bit too, at least against lefties, which is hilarious because he's a 6'5", 200-and-something-pound guy who's really best of, of, as a first baseman. Mm-hmm. Now, obviously, the, in recent years, um, we've, we've seen instances where, where – or we've seen probably a slight uh, – I would, I would call it, to use a graduate school term, a problematization of uh, the outfield, the, uh, the sort of outfield roles – um, we've seen, you know, we've seen players like Carl Crawford and Brett Gardner, maybe David DeJesus, play corner outfield slots uh, at an incredibly, you know, at an above average clip, and save an above average number of runs there. So you may not think of them as center fielders per se, uh, but they they essentially save the same number of runs in a corner outfield spot that a, that a center center fielder would. Um, so, but there's obviously a little bit of a challenge. If you don't have, um, if you're if you're not playing three as a unit, three talented guys as a unit. So what do we know about how many runs the Dodgers outfield is saving or not saving this year? Oh, I, I don't have the number handy, but I know it is one of, if not the worst, group of baseball. Okay, all right. So so it's not just a case where they it, they lack a guy who's like a tried and true, like you know, official center fielder. It's when they deploy three outfielders, they're usually going to be saving. Uh, fewer runs than than an, an average group of outfielders. Yeah, I, I think that's that's absolutely true. I mean, you know, Kemp has been a disaster ever since he, he got hurt. Um, Ethier has never really been that great of an outfielder. He's okay, and I think that the numbers don't like Puig as much as you think they would. Uh, but uh, overall, there's not a really great outfielder. I mean, I'm looking at it up now by defensive runs saved. They're second worst only to the Indians, who are just horrendous as far as the outfield goes. Right. Okay. Right. And that's uh, most, like most of that. I should add, most of that is Kemp, who the numbers just absolutely despise. Right, and they have they have for for a few years now. I think is that right? Yeah. yeah. Well, he's he's always been a lousy center fielder, and then with all the injuries, um, you know, he, the thing was he never really got good jumps, but he had very good speed, so he could kind of outrun some of those mistakes. Now with the hamstring injuries and the ankle injuries, he's, I think he's lost a little bit of a step, and he can no longer outrun those mistakes. Right now, the Dodgers are a team at the moment. Uh, which uh, what they're up by a game over the Giants in the West. Uh, tied or up by one? Yeah, tied up by yeah, one. Up by one, yeah. 
<clears throat> According to uh, Fangraph's uh, playoff projections, they have um, quite a good chance, about four-fifths chance of making it to uh, – of qualifying for the playoffs. And, and I, I mean – by that, I mean uh, getting beyond the play-in game. Uh, they have a pretty good chance of winning the division. Um, and then if not that, they are almost certain to win the wild card in, in, in the absence of that. So they're – so they have a – they're pretty well situated at the moment. Um, and they've they've done this without a real center fielder. So one could say – um, well, is there really any need to make a change? Uh, I mean, uh, Sullivan's article treats Matt Kemp suggesting that he would eventually like to move back to center field. Um, but what will so what will the Dodgers do for the time being? Or and you know, or, or are they going to sort of um, retain or you know keep doing what they've been doing and hope that that gets them into a playoff spot? Uh, I think that they have to make a trade. I think they have to make room for Jock Peterson, and maybe it's Kemp. Who has a little bit of value, but most likely they're going to dump Ethier or Crawford on anybody who will take them uh, and send with them a considerable amount of money and receive very little talent back. Okay. Because <laughs> yeah, it's not about the money. It's I mean, They have the money, right? It's about the roster spot, and it's about the, the spot in the outfield for Peterson. Because you don't call up Peterson not to play him every day. Right, and the reason, the reason you do call him up is so that now you have someone who actually has some above-average defensive talent as an, as an outfielder. Yeah, I mean, even if, even if he's only average, that still makes him by far the best center fielder. But, you know, also, it's not just about defense. He's crushing the ball in AAA. And of course, there's a little bit of, he plays at Albuquerque, which is essentially on the moon. But, you know, he's a very talented outfielder. I think he was somewhere in the top 50 of Keith Law's um, updated prospects that came out yesterday. So it, it's about as bad as well. Right. Now, what is the, uh, and I don't know how much this would factor into the Dodgers' decision. I, I mean, certainly Kemp, Kemp has been a franchise-type player for them. Um, and, you know, he's had a couple of fantastic seasons, and the Dodgers have used those seasons, you know, for the purposes of marketing and et cetera. Uh, uh, do you have a sense, maybe if, if he was traded or if the other two names you mentioned, of course, Ethier's been with the club for some time. Uh, you know, t- typically uh, a club with a lot of money and also threatening, uh, f- you, know, or, you know, likely to make the playoffs, you don't see them trading away what would be considered a marquee player, but that's exactly the situation uh, that that might occur. Yeah, I don't even know if Ethier is a quote-unquote marquee player at this point. I mean, the, the contract they gave him, it was, I think, one of the very first, if not the first, they did after the new ownership took over. Uh, and I think it was partially, it was seen as an overpay at the time, but I think it was partially seen as uh, that the team so desperately needed any kind of positive public relations splash after the whole in the court thing, and he was a very popular player. This is before they got Puig or Ramirez or any of the Boston guys, and I, I think that we all thought at the time that it was at least somewhat about buying back some goodwill. Uh, and, it, you know, it hasn't really worked out that well. His power has disappeared. Um, what's really been most disconcerting is he's, you know, he's never been able to hit lefties, but he's usually been very good against right-handed pitching, and even that year that hasn't gone so well. Even this year, excuse me, hasn't gone so well. So I, I think that's a problem for him. He's, he's he is not very obviously a starting outfielder anymore. He's been essentially replacement level. Yeah. Well, that doesn't bode well for his trade value, I assume. No, that, he doesn't have trade value. I mean, I, I, <laughs> the, the easiest way to determine does someone have trade value is the question: If you just put him out there on waivers for just his contract and no players coming back, would anybody take him? And I think very obviously the answer is no. Hmm. Yeah, that's a, that's a pretty good litmus test, I suppose. Uh, now Crawford, would people, would someone take him? No. Okay. <laughs> He's even got more money. <laughs> right, and yeah. uh, and Kemp would 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 a team take him? No, I mean he's got I think the most value of those three, but he's also got much more money left on his contract than they do. Yeah. Wow. So they really are. Uh, huh. 
That's really tough. I think they would trade Ethier or Crawford to anyone who'd be willing to, to give them a roster spot. I think for Kemp, even though it might not exactly make sense, they would they would want value back just because of the, the PR of it. Okay. Yeah. Well, that's uh, that's what Mike Petrolio thinks about that situation. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Hey, listen. That's been, that's been a half hour. Yeah. It's pretty standard length for Fangraphs Audio, and I think that you've more than more than acquitted yourself. Oh, I appreciate that. Yeah, I think and and uh, people can uh, turn to this edition of the podcast and say. Uh, this moment in time, what did Mike Petriello think about Brady Aiken? I think that might be the only time in human history anyone will ever think that. Yeah. That's probably but I look, I look forward in a, you know, an hour or two or whatever to finding out what, if anything, he signs for uh, and then shooting you a, an email with the number and a picture of the prices right board. Oh, yeah, that's right. Oh, yeah, I said five, right? Yeah, uh, I said 4-2. All right, yeah. Um Okay. Yeah. Hey, actually, do you want to help me with the with the introduction of the podcast? I can I can record it right now, and you and I can uh, defer to you. You can tell us tell us what we just talked about. Sure. All right. Okay. You ready? Yeah. Trub <clears throat> Alpern, the T1 of Brass, and Carson Sestouli. This is Fangraphs Audio. My guest on this edition of Fangraphs Audio, recognized by no less a personage than managing editor of Fangraphs, Dave Cameron, as one of the Best baseball writers currently writing about baseball, which is what baseball writers do best. It's Mike Petriello, and Mike Petriello is also helping me with the introduction. You're there, Mike? I am here. Yeah, Mike. Mike, we spend, uh, in what follows, we spend no fewer, I would say, than 20 minutes discussing a situation which will be resolved uh, probably shortly before this podcast is published. Yes, we will talk about Brady Aiken, uh, the Houston Astros, the mess that is the amateur draft and uh, make our predictions about whether he's going to sign or not. No, we do. I think that would be, if for no other reason, now you provide, a, I think, a great detailed explanation that is sort of a, a that you follow, catch us up on the narrative arc of the whole thing. But it, um, but if for no other reason, people could come back to this and and here are those predictions we make for the dollar amount that Aiken either will or will not sign for. Anyway, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you, Mike, for participating. We just recorded it. This is the introduction, though. This is Fangraphs Audio featuring Mike Petriello, and it begins right now. All right. Thanks, Carson. Yeah. Hey, thank you. Uh, well, yeah. st- stick around for one second, uh, but we'll say we'll say goodbye to the listener, and then we'll and then we'll go. Okay. All right. That has been uh, Mike Petriello, a contributor to Fangraphs Audio. I'm Carson Stooley, and this has been Fangraphs Audio. Mm-hmm.